Hello and welcome to edition number 1850 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 4th of February 2021. I'm Alan Ravel and I edited this edition. So I've prepared this edition at my home, as has become usual, but this week there is a difference. We have two uh, volunteer readers, Debbie Dicon and John Aswell, who are participating from their homes remotely. The wonders of technology. Our recording engineer this week is Graham Diacon, who unlike me actually understands the technology. As is usual, we've taken items mainly from the Whitney Gazette and our first story, read by Debbie, is about the impact of heavy lorries on communities in West Oxfordshire. Yes, so um, the article is entitled Time to Weigh Up HGV Road Restrictions. Residents have just a matter of days to have their say on whether a divisive weight limit on vehicles driving through parts of Burford should be made permanent. The experimental measure was brought in last August and prevents heavy goods vehicles weighing more than seven and a half tonnes passing through the town along various roads. The scheme was designed to promote road safety, reduce damage to roads and buildings and cut congestion. However, some local councillors want to see the weight restriction removed due to the impact it's having on the wider area. Oxfordshire County Councillor Liam Walker, who represents the Hanborough and Minster Lovell Division, said, What has become very clear since last August is that this ban has resulted in local businesses having to use alternative routes that often cut through smaller villages like Minster Lovell, Crawley or Leefield. The roads through these villages aren't designed for this level of traffic, unlike the A road running through the town of Burford. The restriction is apparently being put in place on the grounds of road safety and improving the environment of the area. In reality, this ban has just caused significant problems for smaller villages nearby and made things difficult for local hauliers, who don't want to use and should not have to be using these narrow roads. Before Christmas, residents in Leefield surveyed on the, on the green to count the number of HGVs going through the village. Leefield Parish Council Chairman Gina Pierce said, the temporary experimental weight restriction in Burford is having a detrimental impact in Leefield in terms of safety, the environment and the road infrastructure. Many parishioners have expressed significant concerns to the Parish Council and Oxfordshire County Council. The temporary weight limit still has a maximum of 12 more months to operate and is being monitored by Burford Town Council and the County Council. The county will then consider whether it should run indefinitely. The six-month limit for people to comment on the scheme ends at 11.59pm on Friday. And now it's John with a story about COVID-19 vaccine trials. A new COVID-19 vaccine that is being trialled at GP surgeries in West Oxfordshire has reached an important milestone. More than 400 people in Oxfordshire signed up to take part in the multinational study from the Janssen Pharmaceutical Company of Johnson & Johnson, which will test the safety and effectiveness of the company's two-dose regime vaccine. 
they were recruited by the Windrush Medical Practice in Whitney and the Ensham Medical Centre, which are working together and are the only GP-led facilities in the country to be chosen to take part in the trial. They are among a number of sites across the UK, including Cardiff, London and Manchester, with recruitment set to be complete in March for the 12-month study. Dr Nick Thomas, Principal GP at the Windrush Medical Practice, said he and his team have been working up to 16 hours a day, seven days a week, to deliver the trial. Speaking about the number of people who have volunteered, he said, we have had an overwhelming response to this and currently we are sixth in the world for recruitment for this vaccine trial. It has been amazing to be part of this and we are all so proud of the work. People just want to help us. Dr Thomas also said that people from as far away as Amersham, Swindon, Gloucestershire, Berkshire and Cheltenham have joined the trial. He added this really has reached people and inspired them to be part of this. The doctor revealed that the second part of the trial, which is boosters, the extra administration of a vaccine after an initial dose, began with the first people receiving it last Saturday. Speaking about the process, Dr Thomas said that it had been a long road with a lot of hard work and he thanked the National Institute for Health Research and the Clinical Research Network for the support. The 400th volunteer to sign up locally was Roger Tritton, who lives in Longhamborough near Whitney. The 56-year-old product manager, who had lived in the village for more than 25 years, was already on the register for vaccine trials when the practice reached out and he was pleased to sign up and do his bit. Mr Tritton had had his first injection, either of the drug or a placebo, on January the 19th and said this week that he felt fine all the way through and had not experienced any side effects. He was given the, in the injection by a nurse from Oxford University Hospital NHS Trust. He will have a consultation with the clinicians in a couple of weeks time and if all goes according to plan, he will receive a second dose after two months. Explaining why he decided to take part in the trial, Mr Tritton commented, to put it simply, because they needed volunteers. The more licensed vaccines there are for COVID-19, the better. This is the first vaccine trial I have been part of, and I am very excited. I can only congratulate the local practices for getting involved in this. So I have an article now entitled New Bakery Nets Business Funds Prize. A bakery that opened during the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic has been handed a healthy cash boost for its business innovation. Hobie opened in Whitney's Corn Street in October and has already become a favourite for locals. Now it has split a £10,000 prize with Printpool, a fellow 2020 business which specialises in 3D printing. The money comes from the Frilford-based Modus Accountants and its Modus Ignite support programme. The initiative was launched in September after a rise in new startups and is designed to help new businesses receive expert support under cash investment. James Tolbert, who co-owned 
Kobe with Jake Jones spoke about the business this first month. He said the first couple of months have been up and down. At the beginning, customers were out and about, so we were seeing really good sales. He added, we had people coming in saying they'd got the bread delivered in March and enjoyed us having the store. What we've seen recently is more and more wholesale while customers are staying at home. For us, it's weird. We've only ever known lockdown. We're a lockdown business. So in a weird way, it's kind of normal to us. When lockdowns come in, we shift again to delivery, which we enjoy, but not as much as seeing people in the shop. We're so grateful to the people of Whitney. They've kind of taken us under their wing. Mr. Talbot has employed a retail manager and junior baker to bring new ideas to the table. We ran an initiative during the first three months with Will, our junior baker, and Amy, our retail manager, where we test their products and uh, they've really been able to explore, he said. Amy came up with some amazing carrot cupcakes and Will some spiced apple turnovers. Yum. Right, and the next piece is headed up 100 laptops donated to help pupils with remote learning. School leaders have praised a group of volunteers after 50 laptops were delivered to their schools, with another 50 on the way. Whitney ALBS, which stands for Access to Learning Beyond School, was set up during the first lockdown and has been helping out local schools with the provision of laptops and tablets. Last year, while Mayor of Whitney at the start of the pandemic, Duncan Enright received a call from his friend Joe Brown, a teacher at Our Lady of Lords Catholic Primary School in Whitney. She explained to Mr Enright the difficulty many children were having with remote learning. Funds were then raised by Whitney ALBS and 400 packs, including pens, paints and whiteboards, were sent to schools. Science packs were also distributed. Now the group is seeking donations of old laptops and tablets for children to use while homeschooling. Computer repair shop uh, Ability Systems in Whitney's High Street has been helping with the technical side of things, such as wiping the memories off the laptops to get them ready for the pupils to use at home. Mr Enright said, we know that there are still very many students who will need computers at home. Some are studying on phones, which is frankly never going to be adequate. Thanks so much to those people who have donated. Our work will continue until every child has what they need. Rebecca Goddard, Deputy Head Teacher at the Henry Box School, highlighted the barriers students are facing when it comes to remote learning. She said, we are so grateful to have received the refurbished laptops and tablets. Although many of our students are lucky enough to have their own laptop or tablet to access their remote learning, many others are sharing family devices with siblings and with parents who are working from home, making access for the whole family a real issue. These donations along with the small number of Department for Education laptops that we have already received, will really help us to support those students who currently are struggling. The devices will continue to be of huge importance when students are back in school, as they will allow them to complete their homework and coursework effectively. 
Rob Shadbolt, head teacher at Wood Green School, added students at Wood Green School have five live lessons per day online with their teachers. So good access to the internet has become even more essential. We have been inundated with requests for laptops from families who are struggling to access remote learning, usually because the number of people in the household needing to access work and learning from home is now so high. Although we have had some laptops from the national scheme and used our reserves to buy more ourselves, these additional laptops from the community will make a great difference to students who are desperately trying to do their best with their work. This is another great example of the Whitney community pulling together to support each other through this pandemic. Whitney ALBS core group of founders includes teachers, governors, volunteers and counsellors from the town. Yeah, I love that story and I just got, was lucky enough to get a new laptop and we donated my old laptop, we just dropped it into Ability Systems and they just were delighted to take it. So I can recommend it. So my next story is Farmer in Plea for Fresh Hay Following RAF Diesel Spillage. A farm was swamped in diesel after a spillage from an RAF base. Farmer Rob Rhodes of Time Out Sanctuary in West Oxfordshire had to dash through his flooded fields in the middle of the night on Saturday to rescue his animals from the oil. He said that with the help of a younger gentleman from RAF Rise Norton, he moved 30 or so ponies into a spare field where they had a whale of a time destroying his bales of hay. With the RAF now clearing up the area, Mr Rhodes has made an urgent plea for hay. He said, They've been doing the best they can as we have a lot of water on the ground. They've contained it with booms which they've laid out and other sheet material which they keep changing. I think it will take some time before the spillage is sorted. Mr Rhodes said the only thing that would be useful is if people have some spare hay. Where we had to move the ponies was where we kept the hay and they've had a whale of a time. RAF officers don't know how it happened but they said it wasn't deliberate. On Saturday at 9.30pm, RAF Bryce Norton wrote on Twitter, our personnel are deployed and working with external agencies to deal with the spillage. To offer hay, call the Animal Sanctuary on 07850 Next we have a heading, School Wins Exercise App Competition. A Whitney Primary School has won a competition which offers rewards for exercise. Street Tag, a free smartphone app, was launched in Oxfordshire in October, with the county having the highest sign-up rate in the country. In total, 95 schools signed up to join the Oxfordshire Schools leaderboard which had 4,340 players. Those players walked 285,700 miles, covering 318,453,192 steps. The Oxfordshire League was won by the Bat C of E Primary School, as the Corn Street School racked up 14,698,105 points. 
So they should be quite good at adding up by now. Mark Pesey, Deputy Headmaster at the school, said, It has been fantastic to see the whole school community, young and old, or young and older, sporty and less sporty, united in wanting our school to do well on the leaderboard, but, more importantly, enjoy being outdoors and exercising as a family. Street tag turns physical activity into a game and converts steps or exercise into street tag points known as tags. The app can even sync with Fitbit devices. Funded by Oxfordshire County Council as part of its active travel plan to increase exercise and improve air quality, Street Tag is aimed at children, parents, schools, leisure venues and community groups. It involves the use of outdoor spaces and school staff by turning streets into a giant virtual playground matched by guidance by the interactive smartphone app. Laurie Stratford, the County Council's Cabinet Member for Adult Social Care and Public Health, said the, the enjoyment with which Oxfordshire schools children and communities have adopted Street Tag and the fun it offers has been very encouraging. The game has been a very helpful boost to the county's children. Despite the challenges of the lockdowns, exercise remains a vital part of our efforts to stay fit and healthy. Indeed, there is still time to join in the fun and rewards that Street Tag offers as we move into the season two of the game. Your daily walk or other permitted exercise can be a great way to win Street Tag points and tags and compete against your peers and rival communities, but we do ask players to keep to current government guidelines on permitted movement during the pandemic. The first season of the game ran from October to late December. Players can earn street tag points from physical activities both indoor and outdoor, walking, running and cycling by scanning virtual tags. The top three leading schools in each district are rewarded with £50 for parent-teachers associations. Meanwhile, from October to January the 15th, there was an Oxfordshire Community Leaderboard. In the Oxfordshire Community League, over 630 players joined, walking 10,470 miles over 13,000, sorry, 13,000,000, 168,519 steps. Schools can sign up for the season two of the competition by email or filling an online form. Sign up to the community leaderboard, install the app, create a team and join. The highest scoring communities within each district are rewarded with sports equipment and Amazon vouchers. And Debbie and John will be back with more stories soon. But next is the editor's reflection. I got to wondering this week how many lockdown changes might become locked in when finally this COVID crisis is over. Working from home seems a real alternative for some. Online shopping is even more entrenched, it seems. And television rather than theatre, cinema or even live sport seems more likely to thrive. I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but perhaps the same will be true of celebrations. It was my wife's birthday this week, and as none of us is supposed to leave the house other than for very good reasons, 
It was different from previous birthdays. It started with tea on Sunday morning, nothing unusual there, and me delivering with it a homemade birthday card, which seemingly was appreciated much more than if it had been a shop-bought card of the Hallmark variety. Lunch and supper were homemade too, no visits to the pub or restaurant for us, and again there were no complaints. I'd also made a Nigella Lawson chocolate cake which I decorated with a modest number of candles and presented it along with a chilled glass of fizz from a bottle left over from Christmas, unopened of course. Gifts had been ordered online and duly delivered, then wrapped with more Christmas leftovers, paper this time, and these too were well received. Our children live in Australia, London and Bristol, but thanks to a gentle reminder the day prior, each of them video called their mother on WhatsApp and spent a happy time chatting. All in all then a successful day, but we both agreed that when my next birthday rolls around later in the year, it would be exciting to be able to go back to more traditional ways, perhaps a meal out and a celebratory drink with friends and family. Cheers to that. And next is our weekly quiz. First, the questions and answers which were set for you last week. So the first was, who is the new Vice President of the United States? And the answer to that was Kamala Harris. Question two was, who is the current England Test Cricket Captain? And the answer, Joe Root. The one-day captain, by the way, is Owen Morgan, a Welshman. Question three, which is the eighth and farthest known planet from the sun in our solar system? The answer was Neptune. Fourth question, where would you find the Sea of Tranquility? That's also a celestial body. It's the moon. And finally, last week, what was uh, the final question was, what is England's largest county with no coastline? And the answer was Shropshire. And now to this week's questions, which largely relate to two events in February. Question one. Shrove Tuesday is the last day before an important period in the Christian calendar. What is that period called and how long does it last? So a two-part answer there, which we'll give you next week. Again, Shrove Tuesday, or Pancake Day, as it's also called in the UK, Ireland, Canada and Australia, has another nickname in the US. Do you know what it is? Question three. Valentine's Day, February the 14th, has long been associated in England with sending cards to one's love interests. 400,000 cards were sent in 1841, the year after the introduction of postage stamps. How many, to the nearest million, were sent in the UK last year, do you think? Again, answer next week. In the UK, just under half the population spends money on their valentines. To the nearest 100 million pounds, how much was estimated to have been spent on cards, flowers, chocolates and other gifts in the UK last year? As you might appreciate, it's a very big amount if I'm asking you to the nearest 100 million what the number was. And the final question for this week, February the 12th, 
two days before Valentine's Day, is Chinese New Year this year. Each year is associated with an animal. What is 2021 the year of in Chinese uh, calendar? So all those answers next week. Now to our notice board. Firstly, firstly, there are three listeners, all from Whitney, with birthdays to celebrate this week. They are Jesse Ely, who is 94 on the 8th of February. Also on the 8th, Janet Glanville will be 86. And on the 10th, Larry Green turns 80. Many happy returns to, of the day to each of you. Now, the following deaths were announced in the Whitney Gazette this week. Leslie John Locke has died, aged 89. Stephanie Ormond died on the 19th of January, aged 48. Nora Dixon died on the 21st of January. Joan Emily Hill died on the 22nd of January, aged 90. Bernard Huckin died on the 25th of January, aged 75. Also on the 25th of January, David Moores of Burcott, formerly of Whitney, died, died aged 65. On the same day, Ronald John Wilson of Whitney died aged 72. Philip Pitaway, known as Tant, died on the 28th of January, aged 87. And finally, also on the 28th of January, Colin Gibbard, known as Joey, from Langford, died. Our condolences to family and to friends. And now back to our two readers who will take us through uh, another round of items from the Whitney Gazette this week. I've got an article entitled Winston Churchill's Village Pub starts up community kitchen as you may know he we're talking about Bladen. the pub where winston churchill quote unquote learned to drink has launched a community kitchen to feed the most vulnerable people in the area the white house in Bladen, near woodstock was saved by the community last year after fears it would end up in the hands of developers Villagers forged a committee, the Bladen Community Pub, and in May 2020 successfully had an offer accepted by Green King. News first broke that the pub was going to be sold at the end of the summer in 2019. It became officially owned by the community in July last year. Now the pub has launched a community kitchen, giving back to those who supported its plight. The Bladen Community Benefit Society launched a crowdfunder which raised the necessary funds to roll out the community kitchen. The scheme is designed to help those struggling financially, self-isolating or shielding, with hot meals to be delivered to their door. Mondays will see beef lasagna freshly made and delivered to residents, leading up to fish and chips on a Friday. In the intervening days, chili con carne Tuesdays, macaroni cheese Wednesday, and sausage and mash Thursday will be on the menu. Vegetarian options are also available daily, 
while the pub asks that any allergy requests are notified. Pub landlord Johnny Roberts said, in conjunction with the hashtag End Child Food Poverty campaign, we have seen that there is a real need to provide a hot, nutritious meal to the vulnerable in our local area. This pandemic has hit those who are most vulnerable incredibly hard. So we aim to provide a free hot meal to anyone who needs it, young or old. No one should go to bed hungry or worry where their next meal is coming from. We have applied for grant funding, but this is not guaranteed. So in order to start providing this service, we've set up this crowdfunding page to support our efforts. Every five pounds you give provides someone with a free hot meal delivered to their door. So we really are incredibly grateful for any money you can spare. The fantastic team at the White House, along with volunteers, will be able to cook and deliver a hot meal to those who are vulnerable or unable to get out to buy food. On publication, the crowdfunder raised almost £2,300. The White House has become renowned for being a pub where wartime Prime Minister Sir Winston drank in his adolescent years. And it was this link that saw the committee's campaign gain momentum and interest. The plight was even picked up by the news channel, Nine News Australia. News, Thames Water is aiming to create 1,000 jobs. Thames Water plans to create more than 1,000 new jobs this year. The company has employed more than 750 new starters since the beginning of the pandemic and plans to upskill people who are out of work due to COVID-19. The water company plans to triple its apprenticeship offer, support 50 unemployed young people as part of the government's kickstart scheme and launch sector work-based ac academies in partnership with the Department of Work and Pensions, DWP. Thames Water said it will encourage and provide opportunities for young people who have been in care and people with convictions to work in the sector. There is also a plan to encourage more women to apply for manual frontline roles by changing the masculine wording of its job adverts. Sarah Bentley, Thames Water Chief Executive said, this is a long-term strategy to ensure we have the skilled workforce we need to meet the challenges the water industry faces now and in the future. It's important we never stop learning and I'm excited we're expanding our educational offer so our colleagues can upskill. So the next article is entitled Festivals Organisers Still Hoping to Stage Summer's Big Events. Organisers of two of Oxfordshire's biggest music festivals are still hoping to stage events for tens of thousands of people this summer, despite the cancellation of the country's biggest festival, Glastonbury. Cornbury Festival in Great Tew and Truck Festival in Steventon told the Whitney Gazette that they were cautiously planning to proceed despite the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Glastonbury Festival was cancelled for the second year in a row because of COVID. It had been hoped that the celebration of music and arts, which was set to feature Oxford-bound Supergrass, 
would be able to go ahead this June after it was called off in 2020 on what would have been its 50th anniversary. However, farm owner Michael Evis and his daughter Emily said last month, in spite of our efforts to move heaven and earth, it has become clear that we simply will not be able to make the festival happen this year. Cornbury Festival is due to take place from July 9th to 11th, with Canadian rocker Brian Adams confirmed as a headliner. Director Hugh Fillimore said, we're still planning to hold Cornbury in July. I think we have to give it our best shot. We all need something to look forward to. We think that because of our older demographic, most of our audience will have been vaccinated by June and we can ask the rest to come with proof of a test. Ultimately, it will be up to Public Health England and West Oxfordshire District Council if the event goes ahead. He added, festival organisers are all a bit gloomy. I'm trying to stay positive. What else is there? Truck Festival is set to take place at Hill Farm from July 23rd to 25th. While the lineup has not been announced, it is hoped to feature many of the acts from last year's cancelled event, such as Bombay Bicycle Club, Catfish and the Bottlemen, the Cooks, La Rue and Oxfordshire's Reese Lewis. Organisers said, we're still busy behind the scenes preparing to welcome everyone for that much-needed beer in Steventon in July. We're a much smaller festival later in the summer, and we don't need to make any rush decisions regarding this year's event. But there is, of course, a possibility 2021 will be a no-goer. Rest assured, if this is the case, all ticket holders will be given the opportunity to roll over to Track Festival 2022 or to claim a refund. Fingers crossed these next few months see much more positive news. And if we can take place safely in 2021, it promises to be the party of the summer. Organisers of other events exercised caution. Property Festival, which is staged near Banbury by the folk rock band Fairport Convention, are still selling tickets for their three-day event from August 12th to 14th but have declined to confirm whether the event will still go ahead. Andy Pickard, the organiser of the county's biggest free weekend music festival, Riverside, in Charlbury, was also being realistic, saying, we're going to wait to gauge the lay of the land. Hundreds of new police officers are welcomed by MP. MP Robert Courts has welcomed the announcement that Thames Valley Police has recruited more than 250 new officers. The addition of 258 officers brings the total number across the Thames Valley to 4,250. The government launched a recruitment campaign a year ago, which has seen 6,620 officers join the police forces across England and Wales. Whitney MP Mr Court said, Getting more police officers on the streets and into our communities is a top priority um, of West Oxfordshire residents. And so I am delighted that in just over one year, the government has already delivered over 250 extra officers across our area. I know that every one of these officers will make an enormous difference in helping to cut crime and keep our communities safe. 
Many of these new officers are already on our streets, helping to fight the, the coronavirus pandemic. The government's manifesto commitment was to recruit 20,000 extra officers by 2023. New figures show the police workforce is becoming more diverse, with 10.2% of recruits identifying as black, Asian and minority ethnic. So this article is entitled MPs Clash After Varsity Line Gets £760 Million. Oxfordshire's political top brass has welcomed plans to forge a new rail link to Cambridge. The, the decision not to electrify the line has been branded a disaster for our environment. The Department for Transport announced it would spend £760 million on rebuilding the railway track between Vista and Bletchley in Buckinghamshire as part of a scheme called East-West Rail. Following the old varsity line, the new track will eventually run from Oxford to Cambridge by the end of a decade, according to a government minister. But while the news was welcomed, Oxford's two MPs were critical of a decision not to electrify the new train line, but to instead run diesel engines. Oxford East Labour MP Annalisa Dodd said, I'm disappointed that the government has confirmed diesel trains will run on the east-west link between Oxford and Cambridge. I have consistently called for this railway to be electric. Ms Dodds, who is also Labour's Shadow Chancellor, added, As well as being a disaster for our environment, I'm worried that this is just more wasted money as it costs more to electrify railway lines later. Lib Dem colleague Leila Moran, MP for Oxford West and Abingdon, was also critical of the diesel option. The Liberal Democrat said, <clears throat> this funding is a fantastic step in the right direction, although the decision not to electrify the line during a climate emergency is disappointing and could prove more costly later on. We need to see funding committed to the whole line, and I am calling on the government to reconsider on electrification, which is badly needed. Meanwhile, Tory MP for Henley, John Howell, welcomed the cash as part of the government's promise to building back better across every part of the United Kingdom as we recover from coronavirus. The government hopes the new line between Vista and Bletchley will be completed by 2025. It will allow Oxfordshire passengers to go directly to Milton Keynes for the first time since the late 1960s when services were at. And now we've got two short items. First one, county total COVID deaths reach 600. The total number of people who have lost their life to coronavirus in Oxfordshire has passed the 600 mark. The groom landmark was passed last Thursday as another six county people uh, died after testing positive for COVID-19, as cases, cases rates declined across England. The total number of people in Oxfordshire who have died within 28 days of a positive virus test has now hit 603. According to the government's website, as of 4pm last Wednesday, there had been 269 new cases in the county in the previous 24 hours. 
The total of Oxfordshire's coronavirus cases since the pandemic started stood at 29,008. Nationally, the R number, which estimates the growth rate of the pandemic, sat at between 0.8 and 1. And on a similar health subject, we have patients' oxygen kits. Paramedics at South Central Ambulance Service have become the first in the county to supply COVID-19 patients with home oxygen monitoring kits. The initiative began in Hampshire, but is now running across the Thames Valley. It will ensure patients who have mild symptoms, but other risk factors such as age, cancer or other health conditions, can monitor their oxygen levels and know when to seek help. The packs with the pulse oximeter or oximeter are symptom diary and guidelines are given to patients who need emergency assessment. Well, that completes this edition. Our thanks go to the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used this week. And my special thanks go to our recording engineer, Graham Diacon. And also thank you to our readers this week, Debbie Diacon and John Ashworth. Keep listening at the end of our programme for an info sound item which gives some highlights of this week's best radio listening. And now I know that everyone at Talking News would like to wish you well, and on their behalf, until our next edition, I'll say goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Another week in lockdown, but the nights are getting a bit brighter and there are plenty of radio programmes to keep us cheerful, informed and part of the world outside. Starting with Saturday, February 6th. This week's Opera on 3 from the Met at 6.30 on Radio 3 is rather special. It's an archive recording of Verdi's Il Trovatore from 1961 and is the 60th anniversary of the two notable debuts, the tenor Franco Corelli and the soprano Leotine Price. A contrast on Radio 4 Extra at 7pm when we swap music for words to enjoy, Pam Ayres, The Radio Years. Archive on 4 at 8pm on Saturday on Radio 4 is entitled Backwards Catastrophe, Starting in the present day and travelling back in time, Martin Williams charts the shocking lack of progress in coping with the environmental crisis. And three contrasting programmes to choose from at 9pm. Radio 2, you've got to be carefully taught, in which musical star Sharon D. Clarke looks at the way musicals have dealt with issues of race and social issues. More music on Classic FM with David Meller's Melodies, while on Radio 4, Brief Lives is a legal drama with David Schofield. On to Sunday, February 7th. Sunday night is Music Night on Radio 2 at 7pm when Joel Grey celebrates the songwriting team of Kanda and Ebb, creators of the musicals Cabaret, On Your Toes and Chicago. Mark Twain's short story The Million Pound Banknote has been dramatised by Brian E. Lavery and can be heard at 8pm on Radio 4 Extra. Onto the programmes then that are serialised Monday to Friday at the same time, same radio station each day. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, same time, same radio station. The Book of the Week on Radio 4 at 9.45 and repeated at 10.45 in the evening 
is Fall the Mystery of Robert Maxwell by John Preston. If your preference is for seamless listening from 10 to 1, then maybe Radio 5 Live has Nagamunchetti from Wednesday to Thursday, bringing the news, big-name interviews and listeners' experiences. Adrian Charles takes over Thursday and Friday and includes surprising stories. The 15-minute drama at 10.45am on Radio 4 is Faith, Hope and Glory, a history of post-war Britain told through the lives of three women. The composer of the week on Radio 3 at noon is Ralph Vaughan Williams. The reading just after midday, every day, Monday to Friday on Radio 4 is Francis Spufford's new novel, Light Perpetual. The story of what life might have been for five children killed in a bombing raid in the Second World War. It's repeated at 10.45 each night. Trading Spaces at 1.45 on Radio 4 is an examination of the pandemic's impact on the high street. Jeremy Front's satirical comedy Incredible Women, starring his sister Rebecca Front, is at 7.45 on Radio 4. And the Classic FM concert with John Suchet at 8pm brings you two hours of themed music each evening. On to the rest of the week, starting with Monday, February 8th. Tim Harford at 11.30am on Radio 4 in his quest to find out how to vaccinate the world. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Pieces, a modern-day fairy tale of the healing power of love and magic. Two great vocal works can be heard on Radio 3 at 7.30, Bruckner's Te Deum and Marla's Song of the Earth. And The Blue Show with Keris Matthews, 9pm on Radio 2. An early start to Tuesday, February 9th, with a special edition of The Global Philosopher at 9am on Radio 4, in which Michael Sandel turns his attention to the speed with which vaccines to combat COVID-19 have been created and the associated ethical questions. It's repeated at 9.30 in the evening, if 9 o'clock is a little early. Word of mouth at 4pm on Radio 4 has Michael Rosen talking to Hilary Mantel about her views on using language to the greatest effect. And in soul music at 6.30 on Radio 4 Extra, Tamsin Little deconstructs Mendelssohn's violin concerto and hears how it has helped a comforted various people. File on 4 at 8pm on Radio 4 looks at the costs and consequences of outsourcing the manufacture of PPE supplies. And it's followed at 8.40, as usual, on Tuesday by In Touch. And then Radio 2 at 9pm, The Jazz Show, with Jamie Cullum. While at the same time, on Radio 4 Extra, novelist Will Self walks the London Greenbelt in search of the 1947 Town and Country Planning Act. Wednesday, February 10th, at 11.30am on Radio 4, Lee Ridley, also known as Lost Voice Guy, continues his quest for a woman he likes in Ability, a semi-autobiographical drama. The drama continues at 2.15 on Radio 4 in the Dangerous Visions series, Welcome to Medpatch, a thriller about healthcare and technology. A new series of Sideways begins at 4pm on Radio 4, with One in 73 Million, in which author Matthew Syed explores the ideas that shape our lives. To take us outside of our homes, for a little while anyway, Soundstage at 8.45pm on Radio 4 on Wednesday night, 
wildlife sound recordist Chris Watson introduces the extraordinary sounds of the tides of the wash. And it's immediately followed at 9pm, also on Radio 4, by The Power of Celibacy, which looks at the array of animals which reproduce without sex. While on Radio 2, The Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe at 9pm. Thursday, February 11th, the always interesting from our own correspondent at 11am on Radio 4. The Lost Sounds Orchestra at 11.30, also on Radio 4, brings us the people who are bringing the sounds of the past to life through modern technology. The Opera Matinee on Radio 3 at 2pm is a performance of Vivaldi's Arsilda, Regina de Ponte. The 2.15 drama on Radio 4 is In Search of the Seven Serpent in the waters of Western Supermare. There's been a strange sighting. Is it a sea serpent or something else? Ramblings, also on Radio 4 at 3pm. They go for a walk along the Thames Path, Claire Balding and Annika Rice. Classic comedy on Radio 4 Extra at 7pm with Round the Horn, followed at 7.30 with Living with Betty, Starring, of course, the brilliant late Barbara Windsor. And The Country Show with Bob Harris is at 9pm on Radio 2. And Free Thinking, if you're up late at 10pm on Radio 3, looks at all things to do with money. Coins, going cashless and the magic money tree. And we round off the week, Friday, February 12th, with an invitation to accompany the singer Suggs, otherwise known as Graham McPherson, on a trip down Oxford Street at 11.30am on Friday morning. More love letters to London. He shares his fondest memories of Europe's busiest shopping street. Hopefully it will return that way too. At 3pm for The Jacobean Box, a mystery drama involving a Shakespeare academic. A new recording of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is discussed in In Tune on Radio 3 at 5pm. The topical comedy panel show, The News Quiz, is at 6.30 on Radio 4. You can join Tony Blackburn for his Golden Hour on Radio 2 at 7pm. While Radio 3 at 7.30 is in concert, and it's a fascinating one, in which each movement of Vivaldi's Four Seasons is played alongside Piazzolla's The Four Seasons of Buenos Aires. Fatwa at 9pm on Radio 4 looks at the story behind the fatwa against Salman Rushdie. While The Verb on Radio 3 at 10pm for you nightbirds explores the language and literature of loneliness. While 11pm on Radio 4 to finish the week, Americast, where Emily Maitlis and John Sopel follow the first few weeks of Joe Biden's presidency. As always, may I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. TNF Soundings.